0: you're listening to that's pretty dark
1: the podcast where we talk about all of the entertainment that scared us as children
0: and still haunts us as adults so grab your flashlight and join us as we take a frightfully nostalgic look over our shoulders.
1: and under our beds
0: and in our closets.
1: And together we'll realize, whoa, well, that's pretty that's dark. Pretty dark.
0: Man. Hey. It's not Halloween for you, but it's Halloween for us.
1: That's right. Yeah. You're not listening to this on Halloween, but we are recording on Halloween because it seemed like a fun and spooky thing to do. I
0: can't think of anything else I'd rather do on Halloween and make our spooky podcast. Right.
1: We've taken you guys through October, through the spooky month. And like we mentioned, the spooks don't stop <laughs> if you stick with our podcast.
0: Don't stop till you get enough. <laughs> we'll never get enough.
1: <laughs> no, we'll never get enough, but whether the listener will is still to be determined. Just be
0: glad I didn't say Can't stop, won't stop.
1: Well, now you have. I'm gonna see myself. Yeah, (laughs) watch out because I might start singing Miley Cyrus. Oh Lord! So today we're here to kind of, well, okay, I'll break this down for you guys.
0: Ooh, break it down.
1: (laughs) We wanted to uh, give you a background on the show that is going to serve as our first season binge.
0: Ding ding ding, season
1: binge. Yeah, we've talked about doing season binges as part of this podcast, where we kind of rewatch things that we watched growing up. And the first show that we're going to be taking that dive into Mm -hmm. is Are You Afraid of the Dark? Oh,
0: yeah. I'm so afraid. I am,
1: too. I'm terrified. We know that there are like other Are You Afraid of the Dark podcasts out there Mm -hmm. that are just devoted to the show. And I mean Mm -hmm. power to Mm -hmm. them because there's a lot to say.
0: We're joining the ranks. Yeah,
1: we're just joining the ranks. I mean, and there are other podcasts that are horror-based we know that and we know that there are other like nostalgia based podcasts and we think that is super super cool yep. honestly i think like correct me if i'm wrong but i think when we were first talking about making a podcast one of the first things we said was let's just do an are you afraid of the dark rewatch podcast no, that's correct <laughs> yeah like i think that was where our minds were that is the, the origins beginning. of our
0: podcast for sure
1: yeah and then the more we talked the more we realized we had a lot more to say mm-hmm. and a lot more things we wanted to to cover so we decided to just incorporate that as part of the other content that we are going to make absolutely and do some season binges of different shows that we love and that are Mm -hmm. pretty dark yeah all Um,
0: interspersed amongst uh, the other episodes we're gonna do so we're not just gonna stick with one thing yeah
1: we we didn't want to just do a season binge and that be every episode that you guys hear from now until you know we get done with the season
0: especially if you don't like the show it's like well see you later
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so we wanted to to intersperse it with other content so you'll be getting bits and pieces of the season binge over the next few months as we You know, release episodes. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. but all that being said, we're here today not to talk about an episode yet, but to kind of do an introduction to Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yes. Because as we started to plan out these episodes, we realized there was a lot to cover in terms of, you know, the cast and the Midnight Society and our favorite human DJ, Mikhail. So that's what we're going to get into today and indulge a little bit of that uh, early Nickelodeon nostalgia with you guys.
0: Mm. Are You Afraid of the Dark? is a Canadian-American horror anthology for children that aired on something called Youth Television, a.k.a. YTV in Canada. I remember
1: the logo. Oh, yeah.
0: And on Nickelodeon in the United States. It was created by our hero and champion, DJ McHale, And another fella named Ned Candle, who produced it alongside him for all those years.
1: I like that his name was Candle. Yeah. Seems appropriate (laughs) It's fitting, right?
0: Well, Candle with a K.
1: You guys will probably hear us talk about DJ McHale. We've talked about him before. We're going to talk about him today. And we're going to continually talk about him when we do our season binge of Are You Afraid of the Dark? So I thought it was an appropriate time to kind of give you guys some background on the legend that is DJ McHale. Or at least more than I did uh, in the Tower of Terror breakdown. So... Um, DJ McHale is an American uh, writer, director, and he has done a lot, honestly, before Are You Afraid of the Dark that kind of led him to that point um, that I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. So he started early on. He did some like screenplays that aren't as well known that I could find, but then he worked on Encyclopedia Brown. Encyclopedia Brown. Yeah. It was this kid's show that ran, I think in, it started in 89 and it ran on HBO. And it was all about this 10 year old kid that was like solving crimes and stuff. And it was based on a book series from the sixties, which I, I feel like I read some of that in like elementary school. Yeah, it sounds um, familiar. It was kind of akin to like Nancy Drew, you know, it, and i don't yeah. know hardy boys boxcar children yeah but he did a whole series on it and i've actually never seen it which makes me feel like a bad dj Michael fan so i may have to <laughs> may have to look that up
0: add that to the list
1: right yeah. Add that to the always growing list of things to watch mm-hmm. and actually um dj met ned candle on encyclopedia Brown. no way and i think he was producing on that so i guess they just kind of worked that's awesome. well together yeah But he then worked on Ghost Rider briefly.
0: Ghost Rider.
1: Right? It was, I mean, I I think I've only maybe seen like one episode, but the concept of it always stuck with me because it's about, again, you know, a group of kids and they're like solving crimes, working with this ghost that's helping them. Yeah. And the ghost- can only communicate with like written word basically
0: always stuck with me so
1: it's called ghost writer <laughs> but i i mean i thought that's such such a fun way like he's always championing the children mm-hmm. you know from his from the beginning yeah and it's really clear to see from like those roots where like how he got where he ended up with are you afraid of the dark right, and right. how he became known for that type of uh content and that very specific brand of children's horror yeah and like we we talked about briefly in the Tower of Terror episode, but I found some really cool interviews with him. And he was mostly talking about Tower of Terror in those interviews, but he also mentioned some really cool stuff about his philosophies for directing and casting and writing on Are You Afraid of the Dark? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think it'd be cool to talk about some of that, too. Yeah. So in some of these interviews, DJ... Was asked about the lengths that he was allowed to go to in children's horror, like how mm-hmm. how many rules and regulations were kind of placed around him in the plot lines and the things he was allowed to show. Yeah, and it's a good question. In Tower of Terror and Are You Afraid of the Dark? He said that they never really went to the lengths to show blood or guts or anything like that. They were really cautious and thoughtful with a lot of the things that mm-hmm. they did. So there weren't many rules. Although it was dark and they had to portray you know, death and these really dark themes, they were really thoughtful about how they did yeah, it. Yeah, that comes through. And he thinks that that's really what helped the networks have a lot of faith in him. And, you know, ultimately what gave him a lot of the freedom was his own personal convictions about how to manage it properly. Wow. Very cool. But obviously it's still stuff that sticks in our mind. And he said that it was really important to him to go lean into the eerie and the haunting and the daunting sort of suspenseful nature and not the big jump scares and payoffs and and gore, he said that was really important to him and his brand of children's horror. And I think that's my favorite type of horror to this day, in large part due to him. Mm -hmm. And thinking about how much, you know, how things are now, he said there probably are a lot more hoops to jump through nowadays, just in general, that's how things work. But Mm -hmm. he said that filmmaking was just handled a lot differently back then and they had a lot of trust in him. And it made me think about how crazy it is that his, like, personal decisions and convictions had, like, a very direct impact on, like, The psyche of a whole generation that's true me and you and all the kids that grew up on these shows wow Um, those were his personal decisions about how to handle it and that is what we were left with and how we think of horror which is (laughs) wild
0: thank you dj mcgill thanks
1: dj thanks so much that is
0: true he did impact an entire
1: generation i have friends that teach elementary school particularly have friends that teaches kindergarten and i always think about my kindergarten teacher and how many things about my kindergarten and first grade teachers that like stuck in my brain And you have a captive audience, right? You have these kids that have no choice but to sit and listen to you or sit and watch your shows. And right. you just don't even realize all the things that are sticking.
0: It's a lot of responsibility.
1: It's a lot of responsibility. And I thought it was really cool the way that he handled it. Dang it. And I don't think any of his decisions specifically really made me any worse for wear. Like there are some things that mess me up in <laughs> children's horror. Obviously, that's why we're here. Right. And I think there are some things that probably did step over some lines, but I don't know that it was his projects that did that. He was always just towing the line, not getting across it. Right.
0: Now... According to the Orange Years documentary on Hulu, which you and I have both watched multiple times.
1: I think I've watched it four
0: times. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen it at least twice. Um, DJ said that Are You Afraid of the Dark was created to be part of a brand new program Nickelodeon wanted to introduce to preteens on Saturday nights called SNCC, a.k.a. Uh. (laughs) Exactly. Saturday Night Nickelodeon. And this was for kids who were in his. It's a paraphrase, but in his words it was for kids who were too young to be out on saturday nights like on a date he said mm, uh, right, but too right. young to be you know in bed asleep at that hour so yep. it was just this like niche little time slot,
1: the sweet spot, the
0: sweet spot, and I
1: fell into that so perfectly. Yeah, not right when he was making it; I was a little bit young. But like, yeah, in the years after, Snick became a staple part of my bedtime evening.
0: Absolutely, you know, routine. Absolutely, and we discussed all the uh, all the commercial bumpers in the uh, oh yeah yeah origins episodes. But like, yeah, this is where I think they first started to do a bunch of bumpers for Snick specifically.
1: <laughs> 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 (laughs) 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 (laughs)
0: It's really interesting how they did this. The original series itself, the first season, aired from 1992 to 1996, but... The pilot itself, the one episode that they had made, had aired before 92. So this episode was called The Tale of the Twisted Claw, which ended up being episode four of the first season, right? Yeah,
1: that's right. It confused me every time I looked it up online when we were like prepping and planning. I know. It's like the title of that episode is... Like episode four, like you said, but it was also the pilot episode. So totally the order got a little confusing. Yeah,
0: definitely. And it gets confusing in the actual like continuity of the show itself. Right. Because it falls in into a strange place that we will discuss at length when we get to it. Oh yeah. But uh so it was first aired on this youth television on YTV on Halloween night. 1990. Mm. It just feels like such a dark, ominous, but like special, magical night. Right? It feels like such a big, big night. Just,
1: yeah. 1990, everything feels dark and spooky. Everything. I wasn't even there yet. You weren't even there yet. Mm -mm. It's a time before us, so it feels magical.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, And it, it wasn't until a year later that this episode aired on Nickelodeon for the first time on October 25th, 1991. So I was like, Six months old, almost to the day.
1: But <laughs> Bet you didn't see it. No,
0: I definitely didn't see Bet it. Bet you didn't
1: catch it. You had a pretty full schedule at the time. Yeah,
0: I was pretty busy, you know. <laughs> I had things to do. <laughs> uh, but it, on the 25th, it was part of a Halloween special that Nick was running. Uh, that week so it's really really interesting so it, it aired twice before it ever became part of a real season I guess before it got the green light
1: yeah I mean that makes sense I feel like that probably happens a lot we don't know if it was picked up yet but they had created that pilot so they had it for Halloween which is cool yeah totally,
0: totally. two totally. years
1: prior to this series you know
0: maybe Nick was like yeah yeah sure sure we'll run this and then they just like tested it out on the whole uh, American audience I'm not, I'm not sure I mean but it was the, kind the, of U.S. audience. it was
1: kind of an avant-garde sort of thing they were doing though like to have this block of programming that's SNCC that is for an age group that other mm-hmm. stations are not catering to at all. Yeah. So, that's new. But then to also introduce this children's horror thing. Right. Like, this is a whole new idea. So, they probably did have some, not misgivings, but they probably did have some hesitation on, like, how are kids going to feel about this, you know? For sure. Like, in the Orange Years documentary, I remember DJ McHale was talking about, you know, it started out as, like, adaptations of fairy tales. And then uh, I can't remember all the reasons why, but it turned into more like scary tales. Like, okay, well, we'd rather hear scary stories. And then that's where it evolved into the campfire and that whole like idea. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Um, yeah. But then the question was, you know, uh uh-oh, like kids might like to see this, but will parents let kids watch this? Exactly. Yeah.
0: Which is why they gave him a a mandate Mm -hmm. that basically told him, you have to base this on classic literature, on something. And so, which is why, you know, The Twisted Claw itself was based on the monkey's paw. And there was other, there was the Legend of Sleepy Hollow, the Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah, there's a bunch of those episodes like that. It's
1: so wishbone.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know,
1: Nickelodeon started out like its first roots were to be educational, mm-hmm. and I think that carried over into a lot of the content that ended up on air, even if it was kind of like we we should do this, but we'd rather make these fun, scary stories. So we're just going to do it the best way we can. Yeah. and make it educational ish. And I guess he said too, like we we did this so that if we got pushback from the parents we could say, what do you mean? This is classic literature.
0: Yeah. So they like knew it was going to be inappropriate and so scary and wrong. They're like, well, we need a fail safe. Yeah. We need something to say. It's just good PR, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's totally marketing. We're
0: not going to fix the problem. We're just going to like talk around the problem and convince them that the problem isn't the problem. We
1: can acknowledge that it was potentially kind of a problem too. No,
0: it definitely messed me up. I mean, it gave me nightmares. Same. I, I had trouble sleeping as a kid because of this show, Same. but I would go back and watch it over and over and yeah. over again. I couldn't stop.
1: Couldn't look away. Couldn't help it. Couldn't
0: help it. It was a two-hour block of time that Snake ran on every Saturday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern time. Mm-hmm. So you and I grew up in Central Time. Yes. So for us, it was from seven to nine. Yes. So in my mind, I still separate my evenings as before nine p.m. and after nine p.m. to this day
1: because of SNICK.
0: I guess so. It had some sort of weird effect on me. Yeah. Because after nine, oops. Because <laughs> after nine, when SNICK was over that was like, you know, bedtime.
1: I have memories of that too, for sure. For my childhood, I think more back to like, cause that was only Saturday nights, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think the fact that Nick at night was the block on the weeknights. Right. That's what I associate with my time in the evening. Totally. Cause it was like Brady Bunch comes on at 8 PM and then I go to bed after that, you know, but on Saturdays I could stay up later. So, you know, I got to see this Nick till at least nine. Yeah. Yeah. I got to see all this Nick stuff. And I
0: love the, the Nick at night stuff too during the week, but Those shows make me sad, I guess, because I associate them with bedtime. I don't know. Bedtime,
1: weeknights, like school nights. Yeah. dark time.
0: At least Are You Afraid of the Dark, you know, ending that night was like spooky something fun something to make you (laughs) give you a little bit something else to think about than just how you have to go to sleep it's like now I can't go to sleep because I'm terrified
1: (laughs) and also just the quintessential idea that you watched it on the weekend yes it
0: always hit different
1: there's something nice about that too
0: yeah for sure Clarissa explains
1: what's snick snick oh yeah
0: it's a very snick most prime and most Snick. snick is snick kind of cheese Here's a true story of
1: Snick. What is it, man? Snick is Saturday Night Nick. Snick. Prime time for you. Oh, joy. And Nick will Snick August 15th.
0: The night that Snick premiered, they show two network favorites. Clarissa explains it all. Love Clarissa. And the Ren and Stimpy show.
1: I hate
0: Ren and Stimpy. Yeah. So <laughs> sorry. I love Ren and Stimpy, and then it was the network premieres for both Roundhouse which I never watched.
1: (laughs) I loved Roundhouse. It was my favorite. God, I was here for Roundhouse. No, I've never seen it either. Um, Sorry.
0: And then Are You Afraid of the Dark? And needless to say, Are You Afraid of the Dark was massively successful.
1: Massively successful. This
0: is what's come from Are You Afraid of the Dark? That fateful night in Mm. Canada, Halloween, 1990. I love it. Two revival series of the show. Oh, yeah. So three complete separate different Midnight Society members. A 1994 video game. Oh my gosh. Called Are You Afraid of the Dark? The Tale of Orfeo's Curse.
1: For what system?
0: Uh, Like Windows. Oh, yeah, computer game.
1: Computer game? It's How did I not play this? That's all I did as a child was play computer games and watch I TV. don't know, but
0: you, I think you still can.
1: A CD rom Well,
0: it's like a website. Oh my gosh. So look it up. It's that cool. is
1: thrilling and I'm yeah. so excited to play that.
0: Uh, there's a board game, which I want. Mm. A series of audio cassette tapes where the actors reprise their roles to tell news stories and to like voice act. Uh, new narratives.
1: I need all of it. I need all of this. And Every bit of it. last but
0: not least, a series of 23 books written by various authors, two of which were adapted directly from the show, one being Cutter's Treasure and the other, uh, The Nightly Neighbors. Oh yeah. All other 21 books apparently are original wow. stories.
1: I feel like I've seen them over the years, but I don't, I may have owned a couple. I don't remember.
0: Apparently those were pretty successful. I would be interested in seeing those, but. I also want to own all the goosebumps. All the like, merch. All of these yeah, I need
1: right all this me. merch, man.
0: All the stuff, yeah.
1: I was too young to buy merch, really, when this first was around.
0: But mm-hmm. I mean, we had the Scholastic book fairs, mm. but I never saw those on Scholastic. I don't think those Mm-mm. were Scholastics. They should have been.
1: It was some of the most educational stuff we watched, I'm sure.
0: Another really fun thing that we're going to see as we do our uh, season binges of the show. Yeah. The show served as a proving ground for a lot of different child actors who are now quite famous people. Yeah, absolutely. The ones that stuck out to me were like Nev Campbell. Ryan Gosling.
1: Oh, I was about to say, yeah, Ryan Gosling.
0: Hayden Christensen, Alicia Cuthbert, and last but not least, Melissa Joan Hart. Sabrina! America's Sweetheart, right?
1: America's Witch.
0: And just so many other people. Although a few of the characters and storylines tend to overlap uh, throughout the course of the show, Are You Afraid of the Dark is an anthology-style show, meaning each episode is a brand new tale for us to listen to and enjoy. Yeah, But there are two layers to this show. There's the group of kids who meet in the woods and tell scary campfire stories, and there's the dramatization of these stories that we get to watch so that we don't just hear what they're saying, we get to actually see it happen. This is a group of teenagers. They're consistent characters, and they're called the Midnight Society, which is just the best name for a group of kids.
1: I, it's just fantastic.
0: There have been so many through the years, even Stephen King's characters from It, they have the Losers Club. Oh, yeah. Which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty good one.
1: No, I still want to be in the Midnight Society. I might be in the Losers Club by default,
0: but like- <laughs> <laughs> We were all in the Losers Midnight Club.
1: society would be the aspiration.
0: So, yeah. And they come together, which we're going to say Saturday nights because Snick. Why not? Mm-hmm. And this is how they spend their time.
1: I liked to think, you know, because I was a child, you know, watching it originally. Yeah. I like to think they were in real time out in the woods while I was watching. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah? I felt-
0: That's how I do you things know? too. Like that was my- Yeah. Yeah.
1: That was my imagination. By the time
0: I was watching it really extensively, because it scared me when I was very, very little, but by the time I was able to watch it with regularity, I watched a lot of reruns throughout the week.
1: Yeah, same. It
0: ran like in the afternoon right after school. Yeah. So, my memory with this show is like coming home, immediately making a batch of chocolate chip cookies, <laughs> and then just watching like two episodes, like an hour of Are You Afraid of the Dark, yeah, basically.
1: Yeah, I guess that's true. Like, I, I do remember watching it on SNCC vaguely. I w- was very young.
0: Yeah. But-, but I remember being like, new episode on Saturday. Woo. Yeah. They were not just classics. Sometimes they were fairy tales, um, which sometimes had morals and some you know, don't. Mm-hmm. And then there were also urban legends, things mm-hmm. that may or may not be true some do have foundations in truth which is why there's stories that exist and it's super scary but a lot of the time they were based on events uh and things happening to the midnight society members themselves like from their life like a problem at school or like notably i think one of the kids david i think his bike gets stolen at some point he tells a story about the Mm -hmm. the shiny red bicycle and things like that so the the purpose this served Was so that each of these campfire stories, they had a purpose and and a motivation behind its telling, which is what makes the stories relatable.
1: Sure, yeah, and I, I think I remember from that documentary they were talking about, like they, they wanted some of this to be grounded, you know, in reality that kids could relate to and understand. And Mm -hmm. at the time, Jerry, the president of Nickelodeon, like amazing woman, like all hail because she Mm -hmm. really paved the way for everything in children's entertainment. Uh, but they were doing a lot of research where they were talking to kids and they weren't saying, you know, do you like these shows or this show or what's what do you like more? They were saying, what's going on with you? What's it like to be your age? Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of, you know, the live action shows and cartoons at the time were grounded in that. Mm-hmm. And Are You Afraid of the Dark is no exception.
0: Right, exactly. Are you watching Are You Afraid of the Dark in the Dark? Well, what are you afraid of? What's so terrifying about Tales of the Unknown, the Unseen, and the Undead? After all, there is nothing in the dark that isn't there in the light. Or is there? Tune in for another tale of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Tomorrow at 7.30, 6.30 Central on Nickelodeon. Because the real terror never begins until night falls. So a little bit of fun Are You Afraid of the Dark trivia and lore there were ninety-one episodes total, mm-hmm. which means ninety-one campfires.
1: Ninety-one campfires. That's right. Ninety-one total episodes. It came out in nineteen ninety-one, or it didn't. Yeah. T- you know, it started in nineteen ninety-one. The pilot. Yeah.
0: Anyway. Ninety-one of these, and never once do we see the Midnight Society light the campfire. Really? Did you ever notice that? No. Not a one time. And this is because Nickelodeon didn't want to teach children how to use matches.
1: <laughs> of <laughs> and course. And therefore.
0: Inspire right. them to start fires in their own I, homes.
1: I understand that. Something yeah. like that, yeah. I'm actually grateful.
0: This is another thing that I always wondered, and I found this vulture.com article, which is an, an interview with DJ McHale. It's like 13 things you should know about Are You Afraid of the Dark? It's really yeah. fascinating. I mean, this this answered a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of questions that I had.
1: So they are really things you should know. It's not just clickbait. Yeah,
0: no, these are, yeah, not just clickbait. So go read the article if you just even a passing interest in the show or DJ as a filmmaker uh, will will find you some interest in that in that article for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But this this stuck out to me because I always wondered about the campfire sequences, like where they were shot, how they were shot. So according to DJ, these were shot in a studio in Quebec.
1: Really? Yeah,
0: they rented I mean, the okay. space. I guess so. Yeah, I mean it makes sense, right? I guess I would have thought Montreal. I just
1: pictured them outside, obviously. Always, I just but there's, there's no way that could happen.
0: <laughs> I guess in my mind, I always knew it was a studio. I mean, as an adult filmmaker, I've known. I was like, well, yeah. that has to be a studio. There's no way.
1: I kept up hope <laughs> that they were actually yeah. in the woods, but yeah, of course not. I
0: mean, it looks pretty authentic. They
1: had too many scenes to shoot there. Yeah, as mm-hmm. a filmmaker, there's no way that and they could do that.
0: They must have dressed it. Uh, using real materials, like real plants and such, which is why it looks Mm -hmm. so real. Because, you know, he said by the time they were done filming, it was all pretty dry and and brittle and gamey. and (laughs) (laughs) So they would rent the space in the studio, dress it, and film every campfire scene for a season up front and in bulk. That makes sense. The number given in the article was seven days. Um, So I guess they start a new season. They go film for like a week, yeah, and then they're done with the campfire scenes. Yeah,
1: of course. So Makes if you're
0: sense. if you're any good at math, <laughs> uh, that's two episodes per day.
1: I'm not good at season. math, and I still figured that out.
0: Right. So that <laughs> doesn't leave a lot of uh, margin for error, no. uh, especially considering that all the episodes had to be written in their entirety, and the continuity between the storytelling scenes and the, the dramatizations of the episodes had to be seamless.
1: Yeah. Man, that's a rough job for Scripty.
0: Yes, for Scripty and DJ as the showrunner, he said this made his job very hard. Because once it was shot and the set was vacated, there was no going back and rebuilding that set. It was done. Mm. The Midnight Society members, Mm -hmm. they changed per revival. Like when there was a new release of the show, there were new members. But the original members are as follows. There's Gary, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: sort of the leader of the group. That's right. He's played by Ross Hull. And he was on the Orange Years documentary. And I think he's a cool dude. Yeah, he is. He seems just so like put together and fine.
1: He does. I don't know. I have always loved him. And he, Ross Hall specifically, this Gary person, I think was just so well cast. Yeah. Because you have this automatic respect for him. He seems, you know, he's maybe a tad bit older. Like he's one of the older members, Mm -hmm. but you respect him. As a little child, like you're going to listen to what he has to say. He's like a
0: born leader. Yeah. I feel like he's like running for SGA. Oh
1: yeah. He would totally be the SGA president. You know? Absolutely,
0: But he's like a science guy and he's like into stuff, but he's cool. Yeah. People, people like him. Yeah. He's funny. People listen know.
1: when he speaks.
0: He's just put together. Yeah.
1: and he But he's got the, the butt cut, you know, the classic 90s <laughs> butt cut yeah. and glasses. And so he's like probably a little different, a little alternative, you know, yeah. definitely the kind of kid that I would get along with. Love Gary.
0: So he's had a pretty good like life. Notably, he was on Stargate Atlantis at one point. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like a smattering of other things. There you go. First first <laughs> use of the word
1: smattering. Words he promised that he was going to use that word. So keep keep track, folks. So many times, yeah.
0: But he was also, he's well-educated, and he's like a meteorologist.
1: I did not know that. Oh, yeah. man. I, the guy's awesome. I like him even more now. One of my best friends is a weatherman, and they're, in general, the weathermen that I know, which not that many, but still, they're the nicest people in the <laughs> world.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Weather? Or not, they're good people. Oh, please, but boy, Why? they sure know how to tell a story. They do,
1: at least at least Gary does,
0: and Thomas does too. And Thomas, he's, he's the funny. weatherman, he's funny that's my guy.
1: best friend. He can tell a He's story. funny. He can tell a good story, and he can tell a good weather. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> uh, so next, uh, this is in no apparent order. This is just the order I found online multiple times. So Betty Ann
1: is next
0: yeah Uh, she's played by rain Pear cool
1: hope that you said it right Uh,
0: another smattering of things a lot of these actors did um they were given credit for a lot of the same thing like additional crew or additional voice acting for like harry potter and the Sorcerer's stone
1: yeah i noticed that too i don't get it
0: but i don't know if that's true
1: i would like it to be true so let's just assume that it is
0: betty ann is like kind of the quiet i mean she's cute she smiles a lot.
1: She's really enthusiastic about the stories. She's really too. enthusiastic. Like she has yeah. that like fire in her eyes about the stories. She's she's about it. She likes being part of the Midnight Society. I
0: think she's different in the Midnight Society from who she is in real life. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of them are very much who they are, but I think she comes and is like, this is my chance to be like brave mm-hmm. and enthusiastic. Whereas normally and she's like, care about quiet. something. I think I think so. Yeah. But that's just my read. Kiki is Jody Rester. She's done a lot. She's voiced a uh, character on the PBS cartoon Arthur. Yeah,
1: that's right.
0: But she also released an R and B soul album called Real.
1: Hey,
0: Kiki is super like uh, in your face, kind of punky. She likes to pick on you and laugh like with you. Mm-hmm. Like she's not mean. She's a jokester. Yeah. She likes to joke around. So she's a she's lot gonna
1: of fun. she's gonna like razz people. Yeah, get them going. Yeah.
0: But it's because she likes you. Whereas there's Frank, who doesn't like anybody. Yeah. Um, he's played by Jason Alisharan and he's done a few things, uh, including, uh, produced a movie called a single man starring Colin Firth and Julian Moore.
1: Wow. Producer creds.
0: And he's the like kind of the
1: bad bully. Yeah.
0: He picks on you. He makes fun of you. And it's not really endearing. I think deep down. Well,
1: he it's, it's his like reflex, right? It's his, you know, persona. It's the idea that he's, he needs to project.
0: Yeah. It's a defense mechanism. Right. So he's always kind of, harsh uh and mean and it's funny because i'll mention this when you do the phantom cab because that's his story when he tells
1: it i was literally about to say and
0: it's just full of these sweet sweet burns
1: mm-hmm. the whole thing
0: um next we have Kristen, played by rachel blanchard blanchard however you want to say it and you know she was in a little something called clueless i don't know <laughs> no big deal never never heard of it really um Crazy. she's actually had she had an amazing career she's done a lot of stuff she's the like blonde pretty girl a lot of focus on her
1: yeah She's
0: a star? Yeah, she's one of the stars. And then she leaves and does other stuff. Then we have David, who's played by Nathaniel Moreau. Um, He's done a larger smattering of things. Before this, he was in the 1988 to 1989 War of the Worlds TV series. Wow. Along with Rachel Blanchard.
1: I love that so many of them also did these kind of alternative type shows. And
0: there's a bunch. I didn't write down because it was, it would get yeah. too much. Even this is kind of lagging a little bit. And then there's, oh my gosh, my personal favorite. Oh, here we go. Not necessarily of the characters, but I'm I think this makes me like him more. So Eric is the blonde <laughs> little curly-headed boy, and he's really just funny. He's a lot of like comic relief, I would say. Mm. Cause he's just kind of silly and just like also makes fun of you, but as a nerd. And Eric is played by a guy named Jacob uh, Tierney. And Jacob is the co creator and writer and director of a little show called Letter Kenny.
1: Oh,
0: that I love. No wonder so I recognize his Much. Name. And he cr- created it with Jared Kiso. And he plays Pastor Glenn, <laughs> that I can't think about without laughing, which is a homosexual, nymphomaniacal, evangelical preacher from the American South. <laughs> And of course. It is great. <laughs> of
1: course. Man, so many so, people um, have told me to watch Letter Kenny. I need to get on it.
0: It's yeah, that show I mean, is great. Go,
1: Eric. Go. He grew up good. And now that I watch it,
0: I'm like, dude, I can see Pastor Glenn. Oh. Wow. And little Eric. And it's so it's so scary. <laughs> That's
1: what this podcast is about, man. All those layers that make you who you are. Not that he is a homosexual pastor, but you know.
0: That's the Midnight Society.
1: Love those guys.
0: Love those guys. They're great. Some of
1: my best friends from childhood. <laughs> and
0: we'll be with most of them for. Uh, like five seasons,
1: and and me and you and every other child oh, that and watched all of you. Yeah, everybody that watched the show and and felt these things right along with them. Yeah, we were there. We just we may not have gotten our our time to tell our tale yet, but that's what we're here to do because <laughs> we couldn't help but <laughs> pursue that dream in this form. Format, yeah, we had though.
0: to. We had to contribute to the Midnight Society. It's so. been killing
1: me for two. Decades, almost three.
0: I'm waiting to be sponsored in the Midnight Society and tell my story. I'm also waiting on my letter in the mail from Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. All right, and my golden ticket and everything else. I'm waiting for it. I will be here when it when it arrives.
1: Yeah, we'll still be here. We're not going anywhere.
0: Some stories can only be told at night, and the Midnight Society is telling them. Watch. Are you
1: afraid of the dark? Tonight at nine thirty eight thirty Central, only on Snake. In the '90s, at that point in time, you really had two big networks competing: were Disney and Nickelodeon. And obviously DJ's shows were on Nickelodeon. Yeah. His show, I should say. His his episodes, all the casting that he was doing was for Nickelodeon. And he said that it often because they had to cast a lot, right? And it's an anthology show, so they're casting people every week pretty much for the roles on Are You Afraid of the Dark? Right. And he said that it almost got to the point where it was annoying because Nickelodeon was so at that time so dedicated to being the anti-Disney a little more rough around the edges, you know, a little less polished sort of thing. He said that they would audition kids for Are You Afraid of the Dark? And the producers would say, he's too Disney. She's too Disney. And Dio said that it used to frustrate him because a lot of times they were talented. You know, they were actors that he wanted to work with. (laughs) And he said one of the best examples of that really ended up being Ryan Gosling. Ryan
0: Gosling. And Ryan
1: Gosling appeared on an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? One of my favorite episodes of all time, The Tale of Station 109.1. Love that episode. That's great. And DJ talked about working with him, but he also ended up getting picked up on the Mickey Mouse Club. And so he worked over there at Disney. So he kind of did both, straddled the line a little bit. But DJ said that didn't happen very often, just based on the the way that Nickelodeon wanted to portray their shows at the time. Yeah. And then DJ kind of made me laugh, because in the interview when he was talking about working with Ryan Gosling, he said... You know, I think Mickey Mouse Clubhouse maybe did two seasons, you know, and he's like, Are You Afraid of the Dark didn't get canceled after two seasons? <laughs> he, he was a little bit proud, which I appreciate well, it. Well, that's
0: great. I mean, I do, I feel that frustration because like it was the 90s. It was a kid show.
1: The reason that, that frustrated him. So he got to use Ryan as the main character on one of the anthology episodes where he was in the story within the story. But he originally wanted to cast Ryan Gosling as David in The Midnight Society. No way. And that's the reason he wasn't able to. Is because Brian Gossing was working with Disney. That
0: would have been cool. Mm-hmm. Man, that's so frustrating.
1: I know. There's just I so get much, that. Like, I totally understand it. I mean, I can't, like, from a network perspective, I get it. And even more so nowadays, like, if I was making a TV show and a kid was quote unquote to Disney, like, I would be able to tell and I wouldn't like it.
0: Sure. Yeah. yeah There's yeah.
1: a polished element. But they probably
0: were more talented than a lot of the kids they got to be on Are You Free the Dark?
1: Sure. And that's kind of the thing. I, don't, I mean, we could get into theory and casting and how and why you would cast. Like, I love the idea of casting. I wanted to be a casting director for a really long time. Um, I've really enjoyed every casting process I've been able to be a part mm-hmm. of on the projects that I've done. It's just yeah. fun to kind of match the right personalities together.
0: You picked me. So. I did. I cast you. <laughs> that's how we met.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's how we met is because I cast you in something. I love that whole process, but I can totally yeah. see how it would get. Kind of difficult, and then a lot of those kids that are too polished are almost doing so because they have a certain awareness right. and they're trying to bring something to the table, so sometimes you can probably mold that into you know what you need it to be
0: uh, so like you said, DJ and Ned candle met on Encyclopedia Brown, which I had you know no idea that show mm-hmm. even existed, but yeah. that's kind of where their working relationship started, and apparently early on, they realized that they worked well together, so they were trying to develop I guess their own concept of like children's entertainment and Mm -hmm. what that should look like and what that should be.
1: They succeeded. They branded (laughs) a whole like absolutely decade, basically.
0: DJ and Ned Candle sort of developed the idea for the show together. It's Mm -hmm. its origins.
1: I think I remember DJ saying that on the orange. Yeah, they were
0: trying to figure out what it was supposed to be, Um, and so as the writer director type, DJ took on the more like creative reins, right? The the creative process, and he ended up becoming the actual showrunner for the duration. He did
1: what I wanted to do. Which is what you want to
0: do, exactly. <laughs> yeah. He became the showrunner for the duration of the first uh, like run of the show, the first five seasons. Um, so he was super hands-on. He said mostly in the first season, mm-hmm. but he still stayed pretty hands-on. Like,
1: Yeah. I mean, you can feel it. You know what I mean? Like there are a lot of shows that are directed by different people and you kind of, you can feel how it loses the touch of the person that was directing it before. Right. Absolutely. But it all feels pretty consistent when it comes to Are You Afraid mm-hmm. the Dark.
0: And that's, that's mostly because even if he, like he directed a bunch of the episodes, but not all of them. Right. But even so, um, even if he didn't write the script for an episode, he usually went back over a script that somebody else wrote and rewrote it. Mm-hmm. Like he basically took their idea and then made sure it fit his vision. Yeah,
1: either he said it somewhere or I read that somewhere. But yeah, I read that too. I was like, I get it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> he kept control.
0: It was funny because he was like, so if you loved the show, you can thank me. And if you hated it, you can blame me. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that was pretty hard.
1: Well, hey, I thank you,
0: DJ. <laughs> yes, we all are we thanking thank you, you here, DJ. Yes. Um. It's really interesting how that all came about, really, those those early, early days, because um, like DJ had been developing the show for a while before Nick ever wanted it. They actually turned it down the first time he ever pitched it to mm. Nickelodeon.
1: I feel like I hear that story. Yeah, <laughs> right.
0: It's so common. Things
1: just don't. And it's so crazy to me because I think of these things as fixtures and it's like Mm-hmm. I can't imagine life if they hadn't happened. Right, but so many things, y'all, are so close to not happening. It's a wonder anything ever does. <laughs>
0: I know, I know. And also, don't give up on your dreams. If you right? believe in something, keep going. Yeah,
1: really pursue keep it. Keep
0: pushing it. That's what we're doing. That's why we're here right now. That's
1: why we're sitting here.
0: Mm-hmm. So it, it sat like in a pile um, <laughs> in like the Nickelodeon studio for uh, a year or two. Uh, a while before was this just
1: like the concept like the treatment for it or like the pilot itself
0: I am unsure cuz i okay. now have some conflicting information about the actual year he was saying mm-hmm. 1991 that uh, nick picked it up so the first the, the pilot aired for the first time in 1990 mm-hmm. so hey maybe they filmed the pilot themselves maybe they they funded it and got it okay. made huh. and they pitched the pilot so that could be i don't know if it was just like yeah the treatment or if it was maybe both, you know, right. here's the pilot and here here's our idea for the whole season.
1: To me, I can see it as a treatment. Granted, I would pick it up immediately because it appeals to me, but sure, I can see as a treatment people being hesitant to pick it up. But once you've done the pilot, I feel like it's such a clear like yeah. winner for a network or for a production company.
0: hmm. Yeah, it would be know.
1: hard to turn it down. So. And
0: that was it. Yeah, they were, you know, they were like, "You can't scare children." He was like, "Yes, I can," and stormed out. You know,
1: <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> so thank you for scaring us. Yeah. So it's funny because like it sat in this pile of unselected, you know, ideas, and there was just one of these magical moments where a, a Nick studio executive picked it up and was like, "Hey, this is great. Why aren't we making this show?" And so when DJ came back in a while later to pitch another show concept i think it was crisscross
1: mm-hmm. yeah they were I like about crisscross
0: well we don't want your new idea but can we make this older one you had
1: oh my god <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's so insane he was like uh yeah you of, can make that of course that.
1: you can you could have done it a long time ago sure
0: he also said that they didn't once they wanted the show they didn't like the name he had which was scary tales i know you've touched on that a little oh, bit yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah
0: um so he was gonna call it scary tales
1: i mean i think that's cute Whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's
0: fun, but they were like, make it more unique, more Nickelodeon. So, as he got to thinking about how to do that, he remembered the Dr. Seuss story named What Was I Scared of? So, DJ, you know, and thinking about that was like, well, when I was a kid, I was afraid of clowns and the dark. So, in a way, uh, the title, Are You Afraid of the Dark, is something of an answer to Dr. Seuss's question. Hmm. What was I scared of? The dark. Are you afraid of the dark?
1: He's asking a whole generation.
0: Right. I thought that was really cool. To
1: which we all said, hell yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah,
0: hell yeah, I'm scared of the dark. Of course. And thanks to you, DJ McHale. Mm-hmm. Are You Afraid of the Dark ended up being produced by Nickelodeon and a Canadian production company called Sinar Films. And part of this deal with Sinar was that the show had to be produced and filmed in Canada. Oh, okay. So that's already answering a bunch of questions.
1: About why it was filmed in Canada?
0: Yeah, basically. But in their mind, this was an effort to sort of build out the Canadian film industry, which at the time was pretty weak, but since then has exploded and is now quite massive.
1: <laughs> yeah. To be honest, when we learned that it was filmed in Canada, which I'm sure I had heard in the past at some point, but when I when I saw that, it didn't surprise me at all. In yeah, a lot age, of shows ended up being everything's made there. in Canada. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think Supernatural filmed almost exclusively in Canada, like big right. run, long running show.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean, mm-hmm.
1: so many others.
0: Uh, this is why there's going to be a lot of crossover of talent and writers and filmmakers and composers because Sinar hired a lot of the same people for a lot of the, like a lot of different projects,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: depending on where they fit best and where they were needed most. Like Arthur, specifically. It's one of the ones we see over and over. A lot of these kids, like voice act on on Arthur, and a lot of the, you know, these composers worked on a lot of other kid shows like Arthur, things like that. Wow!
1: So that's where they all came from.
0: It's where it all came from. Just this deal, basically. I mean, Sinar made a bunch of different shows, but this is why specifically Are You Afraid of the Dark? I mean, th-
1: that's where the connections That's are where made. all
0: these connections are being made. Right, right. Yeah. Nickelodeon wants you to know that not all the scenes in Are You Afraid of the Dark are scary. For example, in this scene, just a boy listening to the radio. Okay, skip that. Well, right here, just a girl with a flashlight. Wow next okay not a bit scary here with the glasses whoa all right it's a little scary but if it wasn't you'd have no excuse to hide under the furniture watch are you afraid of the dark tonight at 9 30 central only on snick you ready to geek out about the intro
1: oh i am always ready to <laughs> geek out about the are you afraid of the dark intro this is it there are a few things in life i love more honestly than I the know, intro to the right show <laughs>
0: It is just the most perfect compilation of images I think I've ever seen. They
1: really knew what they were doing. They
0: did. So you can't talk about the intro to the show without first discussing the theme song.
1: Central part Ooh, of what made so it good. so iconic and spooky. I mean,
0: talk about an iconic sound.
1: If you hear that sound, like the first notes of that song, it transports you immediately. It does. Which is what music is for. It
0: sends a shiver down my spine, mm. puts a little... uh I don't know. Twinkle in my
1: toes. <laughs> <laughs> Twinkle in your toes.
0: That was the wrong phrase. Yeah. Twinkle sure. in your puts eye. A, puts a glisten in my eye, a little tear. <laughs> um, so this theme was composed by a guy named Jeff Zahn or Zan. I think it's Zahn.
1: Zahn sounds cooler. Jeff
0: Zahn is an award winning music uh like supervisor and composer. He's produced a lot of stuff. Really? He yeah, he's he's worked With like the Backstreet Boys, (laughs) Wycliffe Jean, Art Garfunkel, Yo-Yo Ma. Wow. Like a lot of people. He's like
1: a music producer.
0: Producer and a composer. So he's actually worked on a bunch of other famous shows and movies and such. Wow. He did music for Paddington Bear, Richard Scarry.
1: I love Richard Scarry.
0: Right, me too. Some of my earliest memories come from Richard Scarry. Me
1: too, for sure.
0: Um, He did music for Barney and Sesame Street.
1: Well, he soundtracked the childhood of everybody that grew up in the 90s. Yeah, right.
0: And as far as films go, like other films, he did oh, he did one called Twinkle Toes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no way.
0: Oh, no way.
1: I didn't know that.
0: I'm reading this list right now. And he did Spookly the Square Pumpkin, which I've never seen, but I've seen it. Like, I've seen that around.
1: It sounds like something that you would enjoy.
0: And Jeff Zahn, also, which I thought this was kind of like, it's impressive, but Humorous,
1: yeah. Still okay. I'm ready for it.
0: He played cello on Broadway in the orchestra for Cats.
1: Oh my god, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that.
0: That's so funny to me. I don't know why. It's like oh. it's crazy, impressive, and yet I'm still just like, oh, that's kind of cute.
1: I've You know what's? <laughs> as you say that, it's crazy. I don't feel like I've ever looked at the career of anybody that was a Broadway, like an orchestral performer on Broadway.
0: And we should. I know, right?
1: I mean, I because like, these
0: people are incredible. I don't
1: know who played the guitar in Rent. But I, that person has my heart forever. Yeah. Like in the original, you know. Of course. Jonathan Larson, Rent. Like, I don't think hey. about those guys, but they deserve credit too.
0: Be inspired. Look yeah. at you. Look at what we're doing here. We're making some Amazing. good stuff. We are. He, yeah. So that was just part of his, like, extensive career. So before he really got into entertainment, um, he was just playing cello around the world as this incredible, you know, performer and musician. Amazing. So he ended up meeting and working under... The legendary kids television composer Joe Raposo, who, hmm. if you don't know, wrote the the Sesame Street theme song.
1: That's who that is. Yes. <laughs> I was like, so, where is that name from?
0: Uh, that this guy did a lot of stuff, but that's more or less how zahn got his in with that aspect of the industry like mm. children's entertainment
1: man can you imagine just being like a huge successful cellist like a concert cellist and then being a broadway cellist and just like go into a broadway theater every night for your job and, and Amazing. then being like oh i'll get into kids entertainment and then just like scoring children's yeah and stuff. now he's done
0: not even just children's stuff but All kinds of things. I mean, not just for kids, for adults, whatever. He's all over the place now. I
1: wish I was a musician. Truly, I do.
0: So now they're working together. And when Raposo died, Zahn took over a lot of his contracts because he was his go-to guy, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the most significant ones um, to us is... Uh, The show Madeline.
1: Yeah.
0: And this was being made by a company in Montreal called Sinar Films, which Ah, we've now discussed.
1: It does all connect, doesn't it?
0: (laughs) So, you know, they ended up co-producing Are You Afraid of the Dark alongside Nickelodeon, which is Mm -hmm. how he came to do the music for it. They brought him. Sinar hires Zahn to do the theme. And he like meets with DJ and Ned Candle and they're talking about what they're going to do and how cool it's going to be. I
1: love, I wish I could have been in that meeting. I know, That's like what a fly I on
0: that wall, right?
1: Yeah.
0: He just immediately got started thinking about what the theme was going to be and, and what he wanted to do with it. And, you know, like these things do, like, like how genius happens. He said he's just sitting in an airport in Montreal waiting on his flight and it just hits him. He just starts humming this theme in his head. He's sitting oh there thinking <laughs> about, um, like mystery and children's horror and like all this whole concept. Of what they're going to do, like it just came to him. Wow! And he had to like scribble it down on a napkin so he could get home and begin working on it. I thought that was so fun.
1: That is fun. Wait, so this is Zan that it came to him? Yeah. I just yeah, it's so funny because I feel like someone DJ DJ describes like a lot of his best ideas is hitting him like that. You know, coming out of the blue, like the, mm-hmm. the muse just is like attacks you kind of yeah i love that i love hearing stories about that because it makes me feel like it's all the more possible (laughs) yes when i often feel it is impossible but it's happened to me too you know it that's something that happens to artists another reason
0: to get out of the house and live your life every once in a while
1: i know and i mean you're so you're you're diligent about it like you're the kind of writer that will just like write whether you feel it or not i'm the kind of writer that has to have that sort of inspiration before i can do anything Well, i used to be man
0: it's tough you got to work through that, but yeah, yeah, it's all it, but you know, how you get inspired and, and how things hit you. It's, it's, it's unique to each person. So.
1: It is. And it's just really important, but I love that he was in an airport. <laughs> yeah.
0: I just sitting there minding his own business, thinking about the, the job and he's just like, boom, there it is.
1: Okay, cool. Like here, we got mm-hmm. it.
0: <laughs> he said that they had already been talking about what they were going to do uh, for the individual episodes. Um, he was like, I'm sure we discussed the theme at some point, but we were mostly just talking about music for the show. <laughs> so he's <laughs> like thinking, who's gonna who's gonna do the music? And he wanted to hire a couple of other composers to sort of take the bulk of the work, mm-hmm. and he would direct the whole process. So they, I mean,
1: when you think about it, that's like a lot of music to write.
0: It's a lot. It know? really is. Um, and uh, DJ had said that they, in this other interview, they didn't just like create and keep a library of music to use over and over, he said each episode was scored individually. So wow. it's all unique to the episode, which is that's
1: amazing. another
0: layer of authenticity that makes the show so great yeah. and memorable. I would
1: like to look into like the statistics about how often that happens, because I feel like that's not common, It's at least not anymore.
0: One of the composers that they ended up hiring was a guy that Zahn had already worked with a few times on other shows, and his name is Jeff Fisher. And He had a major influence on the end result of the main theme as well. Because once Zahn had the melody and the theme in his mind, they went into the studio together to finish, to like do the final recording. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Zahn gave him a lot of credit for, for the complete. Final theme that we all know and love. We have just as much to thank, you know, Fisher for as Zan, honestly. Wow.
1: Well, hey, thanks to both of you guys. <laughs> thank you, Jeffs. Thanks for existing. Thanks for caring and loving your job so much.
0: Yeah. And Fisher himself went on to score 48 episodes in total. Wow. Which is the most number of episodes that any of the composers scored.
1: So he knew what he was doing. He
0: knew what he was doing. He was the main go to guy. Wow. The other composer they hired was a guy named Raymond Faby. Fabi Fabi and he himself scored 32 episodes wow uh, he had also done work on Arthur and was the music orchestrator for the film holes which
1: are I you thought kidding would appreciate. me I love I I watched right. holes like two days ago not even joking <laughs> really I went to sleep and I turned on holes because that's what I do when I yeah <laughs> when
0: I need so to he go had to a sleep. big part in the in the music for
1: that that's amazing there you go I mean that that soundtrack is pretty iconic I mean for people that grew up in that time
0: Right. No, I loved that movie. Uh, So there are four other composers who have music credits on IMDb for the show. However, they only have like 14 episodes between them. So we'll take a closer look at those composers as we come across them in our benches.
1: I often think of the people that scored and soundtracked, like the shows Mm and movies that I watched as a kid. That had maybe Mm -hmm. more of an effect on me than anything else.
0: Well, yeah, we talk about that as filmmakers. I mean, we know the importance of sound. Sound affects like 90% mm-hmm. or something, some crazy percentage of how you perceive yeah. visuals. Sure.
1: Because if you're in a conversation and, you know, it's it's an ominous conversation, but the words, the mm-hmm. words sound perfectly normal, but the, yeah. the sound is different and that's what clues you in. Exactly. That's what tells you, it, it gives you your cues. And I mean- I don't know if it's because of my anxiety disorder or, you know, my social anxiety or whatever. But like, I'm always looking for those context clues. Anytime I can grab onto them, I'm like, now I know what I'm supposed to be thinking. or Now I know what this person means Mm -hmm. Um, in life. And then in film, I think that's part of why it it hits me so hard
0: i wish it happened in real life yeah oh that'd be so fantastic could know how to like proceed through an evening like a date's going bad oh
1: and you can hear the sound effects it's like the please music. can the
0: music just shift yes like
1: womp, womp.
0: <laughs> <laughs> can i just like something please tell me I've, please. I've
1: wanted that my whole life we've all been in the car you know looking out the window listening to hillary duff and yeah thinking I, that we're this main character
0: and yeah hillary duff man in my ears the
1: sound the sound does it hillary duff specifically
0: Mm. Are you afraid of the dark will rise to sneak again after this? So you're sitting there, you got your blankets on your bed, Mm. you probably got some snacks, you probably got your popcorn or your cookies, like 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 I had. Some popcorn. Turn your lights off, you got Mm -hmm. just the glow of the television, like it's poltergeist. Yep. And you're just sitting there. And that music starts. And the first thing you see is the vacant boat rocking in the water. Mm. That just kind of like ominous, like it's kind of foggy.
1: And the whale sounds you know what the, the whales the, the whale wall, like the well, the, ominous, music, you mean? the music but i, I call them <laughs> i call those whale sounds and i do that when we've talked about like in filmmaking the soundtracks of things that we've started to make it's this sad uh-huh. wistful sound that you heard on the discovery channel documentary mm-hmm. about whales when you were a child <laughs> probably oh, yeah. the sound of the whales just they whale <laughs> through the water and it's this distant oh, you know oh, haunting sound and that's all throughout but especially in this the intro sorry go ahead describe the intro we were watching it the whales are sounding the boat is rocking
0: the boat is rocking on the rocks Cut to this lone swing set. Mm. Empty swings. You got leaves blowing in the wind and you got the one swing creaking back and forth, (sighs) right?
1: Yep. The ghost is swinging in that swing. The
0: shutter cracking against the window pane Mm -hmm. with the the storm, lightning's flashing. You go into the dark attic.
1: You can hear the sounds of the boards creaking under your feet.
0: And then you cut from this dark, spooky attic to the clown toy looking at you. Mm -hmm. Super scary. And it's all in like this weird, poor slow motion from like filming things on like video, kind of
1: jerky. Yeah, it, it's as if a home you know, home movie kind of. Yeah,
0: it's that kind of like poor quality that just like still makes it weird, weirdly tangible.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say tangible, tactile. Those are great mm-hmm. words to describe it.
0: And then you see the the metal box fan swirling, and it's like cutting the light. And then you see the bedroom door. That quick push up to the bedroom door with the light coming out through the keyhole. Some,
1: something's coming. I think is the it's pretty spooky. Something spooky.
0: It's spooky because sure. it, you have all those the great these these images, these visuals of like. Loneliness, isolation, darkness, the lights are out. You're alone. That door, I was like, in my mind, I was like, what is that door? And then rewatching it, I'm like, that's just like a kid's bedroom. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, last but not least, you've got the iconic hand holding the match. That's right. That sparks to life. And from that light, it illuminates the title of the show against the black background. And there it is. Are you afraid of the dark? And yes, we are. Oh, i We are afraid. so afraid of the dark. We. I've
1: answered back to that many times as a child. I would be like, I am. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. That's me. Absolutely. Once the flame is lit, it's lowered out of sight, and then you see the trail of smoke that's, behind
1: it. Oh, so iconic. There are a few things from my childhood, like visually, that have stuck with me. Like this intro.
0: Now that's a pretty great intro, right? The greatest. Yeah. One
1: of the greatest of all time.
0: There are two other alternative intros really? that we should at least talk Wait about.
1: Wait a second. Have I seen them? Do you think? I
0: don't know if you have. Would
1: they have aired? One of
0: them you can find online and one of them you can't. Okay. So the one you can find is a legitimate alternative that I think was just probably the original intro before it got all fancy and good.
1: Okay. Before they like had the budget to evolve it yeah. or whatever.
0: This intro is very basic. You see the sky, it's like a blue sky. This door appears and the door opens and you pass through this threshold, kind of into the twilight zone-esque of a moment, because then it's all oh. black and there's a bunch of swirling ghosts, and these That these,
1: sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah,
0: these ghosts then sort of dissipate, and the title of the show appears. With a very different theme. Okay. And then the show begins. It lasts huh. probably 15, 20 seconds. It's very, very strange.
1: Yeah. Maybe this was like the low budget before we know for sure how many episodes are going to get, you know, picked up kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Shouldn't spend all this money if we don't need it yet. Huh. But the other intro you cannot find is something of a Mandela
1: effect. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I feel like all these are, I mean, it, kind, of. kind of are because I mean, it's <laughs> kind of something I see in my head, but I don't remember where or how.
0: There are many people on Reddit who claim to have seen the intro that we all know, but they have additional clips. Hmm. Specifically, a lot of people say they remember seeing a playground carousel spinning by itself, hmm. as well as a jack-in-the-box.
1: <gasps> I've seen a jack-in-the-box. I've
0: seen the playground carousel spinning by itself.
1: I've seen a jack-in-the-box. That's not in the intro at all? No. Why do I know that it was?
0: Well, some people say they think it's because there was a, um like the clown in the attic mm-hmm. smiling down at you, you know? Yeah. But- it's just a clown doll. It's not a jack-in-the-box.
1: Oh, but I remember it as a jack-in-the-box. box That is <laughs> not that wild. weird? I know it was. That's crazy. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's super weird. So, um, yeah, there's a whole thread on Reddit you can read about people are trying to give, like, maybe it's this, oh maybe it's this. I
1: remember the jack-in-the-box and, like, a laugh from the clown in the jack-in-the-box.
0: There, Well, I think there's a giggle somewhere in there with the clown, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I'm making that up, too. People are like, it's out there. We've seen it somewhere, but we don't know what it is. Weird. So if I you guys know what we're talking remember
1: about Remember like a carousel horse like in the darkness
0: Not a horse like playground metal ones the ones that get oh, way too hot in the oh, summer and you can't even ride yeah, them Yeah
1: okay I have an image in my head of like the horse on a carousel in the dark like spinning
0: <laughs> Well I'm sure these are all images that we've seen in other things and in they're other just things, connecting
1: yeah, And we and because this is such like a almost like a scrapbook of scary images. It really is. So our yeah. our mind probably just like inserts whatever else that we've seen. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. But it's
0: so crazy that so many people are like, I've seen that too, as part of Are You Afraid of the Dark? And yet it's not there.
1: Hey listener, what do you remember? Yeah. <laughs> what do you remember about this? Please tell us. Mm,
0: we want to hear. But yeah, so that's the intro. Very
1: cool. Thanks for breaking that down for us. No problem. Anytime. I love it so much. And I feel like <laughs> I'm just happy that it now lives on our podcast. It lives. You know? And you know, I okay. There's one more thing that I want to say as we're introducing this show, right? Okay. Hit me. Um, You even mentioned earlier the Twilight Zone in that early or one of the alternate intros yeah. essentially. Yeah. In my research on DJ McHale for the uh, Tower of Terror episode, there was a lot of discussion about Twilight Zone mm-hmm. because of that connection. A lot of confusion obviously. on my part right because the movie has nothing to do with the the twilight zone at all right but dj was a big fan of the twilight zone and he brought it back to my attention i think i'd like read it Mm -hmm. somewhere online but in again one of the interviews that i listened to i know what you're gonna say he he said that he did want to kind of give homage to the twilight zone in his show Mm -hmm. so everybody knows once you're starting any episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark, we see the Midnight Society around the campfire. You know, we we get whatever little jokes or information they want to share about the theme of the episode. Yeah, to
0: build up to the story they're going to tell, right?
1: Exactly. And before each episode or each story, I should say, is introduced, the storyteller has to. Toss the magic dust. The
0: midnight dust. The
1: midnight dust, yes. Yes. And say, submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society, I call this story and, you know, say whatever the story is. Yeah. And I mean, so iconic to me. I love that line. And it just takes me back to that time when I was excited, ready for like a new- episode you know something scary
0: and it sounded so cool like you like you were part it sounded of the club. so official yeah you're like whoa these are such adults and they're like 14 you know <laughs>
1: <laughs> they're the cool kids You're so much
0: older and cooler than i am Man,
1: i would have been i wanted to be in the midnight society so bad but all that to say he actually got that from the twilight zone yeah he did so before each episode rod right. sterling the host of that show would always say submitted for your approval and so he wanted to kind of bring that to the level of the kids in this show and so he adapted it to be what we know as the intro that the midnight society uses and that's so cool
0: that's so cool I found that in my research for this too. Oh, yeah. I'm a fan of Twilight Zone, but I haven't like seen every episode, so that hasn't quite Maybe stuck either. in my mind yeah. the way that this show has. So seeing that connection was one of the coolest things.
1: And I mean, I bet kids that were the same age as The Midnight Society when those episodes were coming out, they would know exactly oh, what that was referring probably. to, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's pretty cool.
0: Entertainment, there wasn't as much of it. So the, st- the stuff that was really big and really iconic, everybody saw all of it. Yeah. Or majority, I would say, more so than today. It
1: just didn't. It didn't fade out as quickly things weren't it wasn't the market wasn't as saturated
0: right so. so if they hadn't seen the original twilight zone episodes they at least saw the like resurgence in the 80s when it like came back mm-hmm. so they would that's get pretty it.
1: cool yeah they would get it
0: but we'll have to see the midnight dust in action next time
1: oh that's right yeah we can't wait to talk to you about the midnight dust and mm. everything to do with episode yes. one or the pilot really. it's the
0: pilot it's the pilot don't forget mm. thanks for listening to this intro if nothing else, it's a good little history lesson for you. Mm-hmm. So I hope you guys are as big a nerds as we are and enjoy learning about how these things were made and not just what was made.
1: Yeah, I feel like it's important to give the show its due, you know, and totally. it was really the first of its kind in children's war to have a show like this, so.
0: Yeah, thank you, DJ. We're
1: excited to binge it with you guys.
0: Yeah. So watch alongside yeah. us.
1: Yeah, watch with us. Look for more episodes and keep the spooks spooking. <laughs> through the end of the year you know
0: what be the ghost you want to see in the world that's right yeah cool thanks guys we'll catch you next time
1: yeah see you next time bye bye (laughs)
0: snick past tense you have snicked we snicked they will have snicked it is post snick you can snick again next Saturday night on Nickelodeon
1: thanks for listening to That's Pretty Dark written and produced by Christian Baxter Mott and Kaylin Andrews
0: Our music is composed by Jonathan Simmons and our art is provided by Paige Garland at Power Girl Illustration.
1: Join the collective nostalgia and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at That's Pretty Dark Podcast.
0: Share your experiences and let us know what shows, films, or villains still haunt you from childhood at That's Pretty Dark Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, you're never really alone.
1: So until next time, sweet dreams, everyone.